0: The following audio is from the Grove Church. For more information about the church or to listen to previous sermons, visit grove.church. Well, hey, everybody. Today is Baptism Sunday. I know it was mentioned a little bit ago, but today is uh, one of my favorite days of the year. We do Baptism Sunday, uh, you know, about three times a year, and it's so fun. But here's the one thing I want to bring, the challenge I want to bring to everybody in here today. Don't let this become old. And I say that because for some of you that have been a part of the Grove maybe for a few years now, when we do Baptism Sunday, it's like, oh, it's another one of those Sundays. But here's the thing. Sometimes it's real easy to forget our story. Sometimes it's really easy to forget all that God has done and we lose that gratitude and we just see another person go down in the water, come out of the water and yay, that's great and clap. But you know, I want you to really hone in and I want you to think back to the time when you got baptized if you've taken that step already. Because for me, I'll never forget the day. I'll never forget what was leading up to to that moment when I was baptized in church and, and the things that God has done. And I was so grateful and it's so fun to see the support of a church family that when you come up out of the water and people are cheering. So in a little bit when we do that, I want to bring that challenge to all of us. Don't let it just become it's another one of those Sundays. Let's cheer, let's celebrate, and let's be the family of God, um, welcoming people in as they say, hey, I'm going to take that step and get baptized. Good? So, well, we're in a series called Grace Next Door, and um, we're going to navigate through 1 Corinthians 13 here in just a little bit as we talk about grace and uh, becoming the neighbor you wish you had, um, because grace is a big deal. But we'll get to 1 Corinthians 13 here. In a moment, one of my favorite books is written, and I just read it a few years ago, and I really enjoy it. It's not a deeply theological book, it's really um, uh, kind of different that way, but it's called Love Does, and it's by a guy. Named Bob Goff. He's a fascinating person and he wrote this book where he shares just some of his personal stories of life and encounters with individuals and and his own faith and and how he got into law school and how he became a U.S. ambassador by accident. And um, honestly, none of the stories that he tells are like normal stories of like climbing ladders and working through processes. It's so fun to see how he's taken seriously this whole commission to love and the doors that it's opened up. In fact, it's pretty cool because at the end of the book, he puts his phone number, and for years he has refused to change his phone number because he wants people to call him. So uh, if you remember, uh, Jamie's a good friend of mine, Bigby, he's been our, he was our worship pastor for a while, and he's a full-time chaplain now in the military, but Jamie actually took the challenge and was like, I'm going to call him. So he calls him up, and, and Bob literally answers the phone, and they ended up meeting, when Jamie went down uh, on a trip to, to California, they ended up meeting in Disneyland. I mean, it was so cool. Because he's like, I'm just going to call him, and he answers his phone, and he says in the book, if I can answer, I will answer my phone. So anyway, um, it's a great book, but what I love is the clear idea of his book, and we're going to get to that in a minute. (laughs) But the whole focus of, of, of kind of his gist and stuff is really about love. And 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 it's it's nothing new. But do we really understand what love is? Do we really wrap our minds around the implications of love and all the relationships that God has gifted to us? Whether they're they're you know close relationships like, like husband and wife, or you know a father to kids or a mom to kids, or you know more more distant relationships like friendships or even further out, just our coworkers or. Further out than that, just the people that we come in contact with on a regular basis, do we exude the kind of love that God desires from us? And, and what does love do to offer grace to others where, listen, when there's conflict, when things happen in a relationship, honestly, it feels easier to write people off or, or just to hold on to a little resentment and, and sort of keep people a bit at arm's length or whatever. And yet love demands something far different. When you go back to the, this book that, that Bob Goff wrote, He says this at the beginning of every chapter, I used to fill in the blank. And then he says, but now I, and and you can fill in the blank. And so here's how some of the chapters open. I used to want to fix people, but now I just want to be with them. I used to be afraid of failing at something that really mattered to me, but now I'm more afraid at succeeding at things that don't matter. I used to think Jesus motivated us with ultimatums, but now I know that he pursues us in love. I used to think being a believer was enough, but now I know Jesus wants us to participate no matter what condition we're in. I used to think you had to be special for God to use you, but now I know you simply need to say yes. I used to think the words spoken about us describe who we are, but now I know that they shape who we are. I used to think religion tasted horrible, but now I know I was just eating the fake stuff. I used to think knowing God was like going on a business trip with him, but now I know he's inviting me on an adventure instead. And I want to talk about this whole picture of love, which brings me to the words of Paul. And again, some of these you've heard a lot and even this fall. In fact, that's one of the struggles of taking on this text is just a few months ago in our series Wired, we talked about 1 Corinthians 13, but I want to go back and just remind you as we look at the text about what this says. It says in in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 13, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but don't have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record Of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Goes on to say, Love never fails. I'm going to fast forward to verse 13. Now, these three remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Now, you've maybe heard this text. It's been read at weddings many times over. You probably couldn't count. But I want to go back and just give you the context briefly for a few moments. Keep in mind, in, in this letter that Paul writes to the church at Corinth, in chapter 12, he says the church has been given certain gifts. And each individual has certain gifts, ways that they've been wired to be a part of the body of Christ. In fact, in Ephesians 2.10, it says that you and I, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So we're all part of the body of Christ. And Paul says we're all white, well, you have a certain gift, they have a certain gift, and he admits certain gifts are far more prominent than other gifts. Some gifts are kind of behind the scenes and they don't get a lot of accolades or have as much influence, but every gift, every part is needed. But then he reminds the church, it would be really easy for all of us to get caught up in all of these gifts and and, and wow, that gift and and people marvel at this one and look at what they can do, and he gives examples. If you can speak in in the language or the tongue of men and of angels, a heavenly language, but you don't have love, you're only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Anybody annoyed by the idea of a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal? And he's saying, if you don't have love, but you have all of these other gifts. Anybody wish I would stop? Knock it off! And I know that's not a resounding gong. But it's the same idea. It's annoying. Don't, don't have this gift, but then don't have love. And then he goes on to say, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and and all knowledge, and and if I have faith, that can move mountains. If people marvel at the ability of, of somebody to go, wow, you know what God is saying about the future. You know what we need to do in this circumstance. I appreciate so much all the wisdom that you have, the word of knowledge that God has given you. We watch TV shows all the time, and we love it when there's a character that knows what to do in a circumstance where I'd go, I don't have a clue. But I sure appreciate that guy because he always knows what to do. And of course, that's a TV show, but we love it when somebody seems to know somehow exactly what needs to be done. And Paul says in the same way, this gift of prophecy or this gift of knowledge or this gift of, of having faith that can move mountains is amazing. But if you don't have love along with it, what does it say? I am nothing if I give all I possess to the poor. People go, wow, look at how generous they are. Look at all they can do to help other people. If I surrender my body to the flames, if I literally give my life and say, I'm bold. I'm willing to put my life on the line for the sake of the gospel. Wow, look at how amazing and sacrificial and how courageous they are. Look at how, how bold they are for Christ. But he says, but if I don't have love, I gain nothing. And then he goes on to jump into what love is. Verse 4, love is. anybody ever taken an English grammar? Just raise your hand. Okay, way more of you than that. Okay? You just don't want to put your arm up for some reason. Love is. If you're talking about parts of speech, the word love would be a noun, right? So far, so good. What is, what is the word is? It's a verb. Which is what? Come on, you're teaching a five year old English grammar. What, what is the word is in that sentence? The word. Love is an action. It requires action. It's so, so he says, love is, and I want you to think about in the filter of all the people that the Bible would say is your neighbor, not just the people that live next to you, but the people that you encounter all the time from the places you work to the family God's put you in, to the friendships that you have, to the people that, whatever it is, we've given examples all the time. Love is patient. And some of you are like, oh, I already failed. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not proud. Love is not rude. Love is not self-seeking. Here's a good one. Love is not easily angered. See, these are challenging Love keeps no record of wrongs. See, I love this because if you look at these words, it's this realization that we we think of, of, of love, and the opposite of love is what? Hate? But I want you to go a little deeper than that because you just hear it. Well, opposite of love is hate, is it? Or is it possible that the opposite of love is selfishness? Now, I think think hate can be the byproduct, but it's the byproduct of selfishness, that we walk in what we want, what we think. We're not willing to hear the other side. We're not willing to to bend to what's going on in that area of the world. The Bible reminds all of us that we are called to love, and part of love is putting others before ourselves. So the opposite of, of love is not necessarily hate. The opposite of love is selfishness. I want mine. I want my way. I want to get what I want. And so Paul flips the whole thing on its head. and He says, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. I want to go back for a moment. I've never read the whole chapter of a book before in church, but I'm actually going to do that today, so bear with me. But in the beginning of chapter 3 in this book, Love Does, he opens up with this. I used to think being loved was the greatest thing to think about. But now I know love is never satisfied just thinking about it. We have a house down by the water, and there's a little grass path where couples hold hands and walk along the bayfront. My wife and I sit on the back porch and hold hands a lot too as we watch the couples meander by. We're close enough to the water that they wave to us, and we wave back a nostalgic snippet from another time where people wave to each other during slow walks. This is how I met Ryan. One day, Ryan came walking down the path all alone. Ryan waved to us, and we waved back like we did to everyone. But instead of moving on, Ryan just stood there on the path, waving and not moving. Because he kept waving, we kept waving. It was a little awkward, honestly. I wondered if perhaps this young man wanted to talk. So to break the tension, I made the short walk from the porch to the path to say hello. Hi there, how's it going, I said, reaching out to shake his hand and give him a break from all the waving. Hi, I'm Ryan, and I'm in love. He said confidently. Ryan had that glazed over look that smitten guys get. Well, Ryan, that's just great. Congratulations. No, no, no. That's not why I came, Ryan stammered. What I wanted to say is I walk by your house all the time. And I have this girlfriend. You see, and he paused. I, I, I wanted to know if it would be okay, he paused again, if I asked my girlfriend to marry me in your backyard. He talked like he had been holding his breath for quite some time. I was taken aback by this love-glazed kid who would approach a complete stranger and ask to use his house to stage a great caper. But that's the way it is when you're in love, isn't it? All he knew was that he wanted the girl and was going to do what it took to get her. Ryan, that sounds like a fantastic idea, I said laughing. Really? Ryan answered. I guess he had expected an instant no or a gentler, I'll think about it. Sure, go get your girl and let's get you two engaged. With that, Ryan went half skipping, half floating down the grassy path. I think his feet hit the path about every 20 feet or so. He was being strategic. He was being audacious. He knew what he was going to do. He was going to get his girl. A few days later, we were sitting on the back porch again. Couples were walking down the path holding hands. We would wave to them, and they would wave to us. Then came an animated figure bouncing and waving happily with both arms. It didn't take long for me to realize that it was Ryan, and I walked down the path to greet him. Hi, Ryan yelped with his wonderfully goofy, glazed-over-I'm-in-love grin. Hi, Ryan, what can I do for you? Well, you know how I'm going to propose in your backyard? Yes, I remember that. I was wondering if you think it would be possible for us, he did another Ryan pause, so I knew whatever followed would be a whopper, to have dinner on your back porch before I popped the question. (laughs) I bit my tongue to keep from laughing out loud. I'd never ever met Ryan before that week, and now he was asking if he could have a marriage proposal and dinner on my back porch. This kid has it bad. After a short pause, I shot back to young Ryan, what the heck? Of course you can have a dinner on my porch, Ryan. That's a great idea. What can I make for you? I don't think he heard the question because off Ryan went down the path. He seemed to be levitating. He may have touched down on the grass once or twice over the next 100 yards. Ryan was another step closer to the prize. He was all in. He was about doing and not just dreaming. He was going to get the girl. By now, I found myself looking forward to my afternoon encounters with young Ryan. It reminded me how fun it was to be young and in love. I even started coming home early from work to sit on the back porch waiting for him, checking my watch every five minutes or so, wondering when he would come bouncing down the path with another outlandish request for a total stranger. And sure enough, Ryan came bounding down the path again, so I went out to greet him. Hi, Bob. Hey, I was thinking, and then the pregnant pause. Would it be possible for me to have some friends of mine serve us while we were having dinner on your porch? You bet, I shot back laughing. I was already this far in with Ryan. What could it hurt to have a few of his friends over for dinner? Or over, excuse me. What a great idea. How many would it take to serve you two dinner? Ryan looked up with a Cheshire cat grin and sheepishly said, 20? (laughs) Did he just say he wanted 20 people inside my house to be his servers? I was wonderfully stunned by the consistently audacious, almost vertical trajectory of Ryan's plans. He wanted 20 people to serve dinner for two. Now that's service. But when love does, it does big what a great idea, Ryan. 20 it is, I said without hesitation. Ryan bounced away down to the bayfront. I could tell that his head was ready to explode with anticipation. He had the vision. He had the plan. He had the place, and he had the staff. He was trigger locked on the goal, and he was going to get that girl. A few days later, I was at my post, almost on cue. Ryan came galloping down the path. Ryan, how are the plans coming? Well, he said, I was actually wondering if it would be okay if after dinner, after my friends leave, you could put some speakers on the porch and maybe we could dance for a bit. Of course you want to dance on a stranger's porch. Speakers it is, I told him. Anything else? I was trying to get all the possibilities out of him now. Well, I think that about covers it for now. I'll ask her to marry me after we dance for a bit. Great idea, I said to Ryan. Go get that girl. And Ryan skipped off. A day or two passed with no Ryan sightings. I almost felt a low-grade depression sinking in on me. Was the planning over? Was there no more whimsical and outrageous ideas from Ryan as he planned his caper? Was the mischief done? I sat on my porch reflecting on how contagious Ryan's brand of love was. And then almost on cue, Ryan came running down the pathway again. At this point, Ryan was a regular and he bounded across the lawn and up to the porch without hesitation. He was pretty winded actually, leaning over with his hands on his knees, trying to catch his breath. I wondered if I should give him a paper bag to breathe into. After a few long moments, Ryan straightened up. There was a pause while our stares met. I learned that a pause by Ryan meant there was another whopper of an idea brewing in his head. Hey, Ryan, what's up? It's great to see you. How are the plans coming? Do you, he exhaled, have, he inhaled, a boat? (laughs) A boat? I was belly laughing as I asked him to repeat what I thought he just said. Yeah, do you have a boat? Ryan asked more confidently as he straightened a bit. Well, actually, Ryan, I do. I said with half enthusiasm and half awe at Ryan's love-induced, audacious bender. He had that glazed look again as he looked me squarely in the eyes. Well, can I borrow it? Ryan was out of control. He had no idea what an outrageous thing he was asking. But you see, to Ryan, I wasn't a total stranger. No one was. To him, the whole world was full of co-conspirators when it came to winning over his love. He was completely unaware of and unimpeded by what was proper, what was acceptable, and what was conventional. Nothing was going to get in the way of what he decided he was going to do. Okay, Ryan, the boat's yours. I said, I'll take you and your girlfriend out on my boat after dinner at my house, after your 20 friends finish serving you, after you dance together on my porch. You can pop the question to your girl up on the front of my boat. Ryan floated away once again, clueless of the beautiful ridiculousness this girl was bringing out of him. Ryan was a study in focus, tenacity, and abandon. He was all gas and no break. What Ryan didn't realize is that I decided to one-up him. Why should he have all the fun? That night, I called the Coast Guard and told them about Ryan's elaborate plan and his glazed over enthusiasm for his girl, which had swept him into a state of unparalleled whimsy. Ryan's enthusiasm was contagious, and pretty soon the guy on the other end of the phone had caught the bug too. The Coast Guard officer and I hatched a plan of our own. When the big night came, everything was in place. The night was balmy, the air was clear, and I think the stars even came out for a few minutes early to see Ryan's elaborate scheme unfold. "'Ryan and his girl came walking down the path. "'When they got to the white Nantucket house on the bay, "'he led her up to the stairs, across the lawn, "'toward the candlelit table on the porch. "'Ryan, what are we doing? "'Is this okay? Whose house is this?' "'She whispers as she held his arm a little tighter. "'Ryan pulled out her chair and said this was for her "'as he sat her down. "'The service at dinner by 20 servers was impeccable. "'The after-dinner dance was endearing "'as these two stood up with arms around each other, "'slowly moving together on the porch.' By now, the evening had fully set in, and the lights of the city mixed with the stars that were starting to dominate the skyline. It was as if the early appearing stars had gone home and invited all of their friends, telling them, you've got to see this. The evening was coming to its natural end, and Ryan took his girl by the hand, and they headed back to the path. I've always wondered what was going through her head during all this. I hoped it all felt like a dream. As they got closer to the dock behind the house, Ryan gripped her hand, turned, and took her toward a boat that was tied to the end. Ryan, what are we doing, she half demanded. Come on, is all he had to say, and they came onto my boat. I was at the helm, and they made their way to the bow. With the stars out in full view, we slowly motored out into the bay. After a short time, we approached the spot where Ryan and I agreed I would stop the boat so he could pop the question. In a total coup de grace, Ryan had 50 more of his friends on the shore to spell out, Will you marry me with candles, just in case he got tongue-tied or overwhelmed with the intensity of the moment. With their flickering sign as a backdrop, Ryan got on one knee. Will you marry me? There was a gasp followed by an immediate and enthusiastic yes. In this, the most special moment of their lives, neither Ryan nor his bride had noticed that the Coast Guard had pulled in behind us with their firefighting boat. Just as the officer and I had planned, I gave the thumbs up and he shot off every water cannon that he had on the entire rig. It was a scene that belonged in New York Harbor on the 4th of July with the Statue of Liberty in the background. But it wasn't happening there. It was happening for Ryan because that's the way love rolls. It multiplies. Ryan and his bride-to-be let the mist from the water cannon settle over them like a thousand small kisses. Ryan's love was audacious. It was whimsical. It was strategic. Most of all, it was contagious. Watching Ryan lose himself in love reminded me, and I want you to listen to this, Watching Ryan lose himself in love reminded me that being engaged isn't just an event that happens when a guy gets on a knee and puts on a ring on his true love's finger. Being engaged is a way of doing life, a way of living and loving. It's about going to extremes and expressing the bright hope that life offers us, a hope that makes us brave and expels darkness with light. That's what I want my life to be all about, full of abandon, whimsy, and love. I want to be engaged to life and with life i enjoy those parts of the bible listen to this i enjoy those parts of the bible where jesus talks about how much love he has for his bride it makes me wonder if the trees and mountains and rivers are things he planned in advance knowing they would wow us i wonder if god returned over and over to this world he placed us in thinking what he had created was good but it could be even better even grander i wonder if he uh if he thought each foggy morning or soft rain each filled with wildflowers would be a quiet and audacious way to demonstrate his tremendous love for us but what i do know is that ryan's audacious love is some of the best evidence i've found of the kind of love jesus talked about a love that never grows tired or is completely finished finding ways to fully express itself i say that because love is an action word and i want to pray Father, today, as as short maybe as today's message is, and we want to baptize and we want to celebrate life change, God, it's my prayer that we we would do something, even in the next six or seven days, God, that we would do something that maybe we've never done before to express love, God, in a way that somebody in our world could see it. Somebody that we, we come in contact with. There's someone here that, God, they need to rekindle, Lord, that, that, that marriage flame, Lord, even though things feel dim and old hat and whatever else, God, that it would be their spouse. For some, it's, it's their own family. For some, it's, it's friendships. For some, it's co There's examples for all of us, God. But what would the world look like if we lived in a way that love, that's a verb, if, if love would engage in our lives, that it's not just a moment, like this book says, to get on a knee and propose, Lord. That being engaged is a way that we're called to love every single day. God, even as we wrap up this series, Lord, it's our ability, Lord, to extend grace to the relationships around us. Father, thank you for your truth that would transform us. Thank you for examples like this simple chapter of a book, Lord, that, God, we can be encouraged by as we look at what Paul says about what love is. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. Amen. We're going to have the host team make their way forward, <coughs> and um, we're going to collect the communication card, and I mentioned that on the back there is, is that, like I said, that phrase where um, we, we ask, you know, you know, to mark all the time, you know, my next step today. I will choose to do something selfless this, this week that I've never done before, and in a few moments here, we're going to baptize, but I'm going to pray, and if you're not ready, maybe put together your giving or whatever communication card, go ahead and do that. Father, thank you for the work of your spirit in all of us. Thank you for what love would look like in our world that that misunderstands it so much, God. And I pray, Father, you bless every gift and every giver. Just one more tangible way that we we want to remind ourselves you're our provider, so we give trusting you in tithes and offerings. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook or sign up for our e-newsletter at grove.church.